Hello, Matt. Welcome to our uh, next episode of our Going Live with Good Soil weekly live stream just to talk about all things Tesla, especially macro markets are always related to Tesla, as we know, and see today especially. So um, just for everyone on the Twitter spaces, we're also doing this on YouTube Live. We've been doing it weekly on YouTube Live, and we figure out a way to also put it on Twitter spaces at the same time uh, just to capture a, you know, a wider audience that isn't you know, uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel, for example. So um, this is not a financial advice, none of this. This is all just our own um, thoughts and, and opinions on things. We're not investment advisors. We're not registered investment advisors, at least. And, and we're not uh, trying to tell anyone how to invest their money. So with that, I guess, uh, you know, the macro markets. Matt, first of all, I think you just got off a chat with Dave Lee. And, uh, you know, that probably will be released, I would imagine, later today or something. And I'm excited to see that he probably picked your brain on accounting and such right <laughs> yeah uh less so on accounting but um i think he's he's been doing uh, a series of interviews with uh, you know different kind of tesla twitter analysts and, and folks out there trying to make sense of you know the the crazy delivery numbers that, that we just saw from tesla um so i'm sure we'll, we'll go into that in a minute here uh on, on this episode but yeah dave's been doing a lot of great content around that so we we, we spent some time kind of digesting what that means for, you know, Q4 results, but then also kind of extrapolating forward, you know, what, what does that mean for 2022 deliveries? And then how does that translate to earnings per share? And then how does that translate to uh, share price implications at, you know, at a given PE multiple? And so there's, um, <laughs> the the thing I said to him is that the implications are, are quite drastic. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's, uh, I, I think that's true. You know, we'll, we'll see when the earnings come in and over over time, how the stock price you know reacts to to this and then subsequent quarters, but I do think this is a bit of a watershed moment uh, that'll be fun to kind of track over time. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I mean, this is one of those kind of stepping stones. You know, I think we'll look back at and remember, you know, as one of those pivotal points. You know, last quarter's or you know margin gross margins felt sort of like one of those stepping stones where you know it was really a surprise to most and. I think this quarter, this really surprise uh, production and delivery number, which is even above like, you know, the l largest bull's expectations, you know, I think the largest bull was like basically Troy Tesla, like at the end, at the very end, like rising his expectations to 299,000. That was like the highest I saw is like people who actually seriously yeah. were, were putting estimates. Everyone else serious with serious estimates was putting, you know, 260 to 290,000, that kind of range. But uh 310,000 practically, you know, 308,000 or whatever, you know, it's, they really uh, knocked it out of the ballpark and Giga Shanghai really, you know, I think just tore through everyone's expectations and it's incredible just to see how successful they are now manufacturing. I mean, year, for years, Elon would say manufacturing is Tesla's strength, but it actually is now. It's, it's great to see. So, Kind of before we get to Tesla too much, though, let's talk about the macro market because right now, this minute, everyone who's long Tesla is a little, uh, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride up $140 yesterday, down $40 at the moment. So we've come back a little bit, but it was down like $70 not long ago or something. We're at, at $11.58 as we're talking right now. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like 12 hours ago, I feel like I went to bed or, or something and I was thinking, oh, well. I think we'll hit all time highs tomorrow, you know, because it was up $10 after market. And I was like, all right, well, the futures look okay. I went to bed sleeping, like futures look fine, flat. And I think the buying will continue. And then this morning, bam, the market opens and the whole 
macro, you know, the growth stocks and tech stocks, I should say, you know, the, the sandbox replay, it should really have its own index at some point soon, not just like the NASDAQ it should be like the growth stock index or disruptive stock index. I guess you can call it the ARC, you know, flagship ETF maybe, but uh, they've all been hit so hard. What, what do you think about this, Matt? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> not surprising. I mean, it, it, I, I kind of think you and I have been talking a lot about like the macro market and there, there are, I think, legitimate risks in, in the macro market, probably is, especially with inflation, um, uh, you know, getting away and, and, and you know, the potential for rate hikes, which will disproportionately hurt growth stocks. I think that risk is still out there. Um, what you and I, I think, have been trying to do in the last you know month or two is to say, all right, well, which which companies have the fundamentals to outperform it regardless of the macro environment? It's very hard to kind of um, buy short term puts or something like that and kind of bet on a, on a market correction downward like this or, you know, or to sell off your core positions and just keep cash on the table. Like you can you can do those things to kind of de-risk. Um, but I think the um, it is very difficult to time those things. And, and you know, at least for me, I'm not convinced that uh, that would be the the right move to try to time a, a crash, um, you know, especially when a lot of the companies that we're looking at it just have really improving fundamentals. So that's why I like to have just a small group of companies that, you know, we, we feel very strongly about that, that can perform kind of regardless of what the macro environment is doing. But what's, what's your yeah. take on that, uh, this, this environment? Because clearly this is macro driving Tesla down today. You know, it's not like Elon selling again, mm -hmm. or, you know. Yeah. Uh, an undoing of, of like the great gains yesterday. This, 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 this seems very clearly to be related to, to macro. Yeah. All our stuff. I mean, Roblox has been hit hard, even lemonade and rocket lab, you know, the other stocks we talk about, but like we're in the growth stock sandbox and they're all going to hit, get hit hard in these events where you have like more inflation, uh, expectation fears. Um, I think that's the story of 2022. I don't think COVID is the story of driving macro markets anymore. I think it's going to be, is inflation here or is it not? Is it going to be transitory or is it going to be here to stay? You know, like how are we going to handle inflation? And I, I just think the headlines will exacerbate maximum fear. That's what their job is. You know, if you're if you're a business, your 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 purpose is to make money, and all of the you know firms generating headlines are businesses and their purposes are to make money in different ways and shapes and such. So advertising, clickbait. So they're going to maximize fear because that maximizes clicks. And, and the way to maximize fear in the markets is I think talk really talk up inflation. Um, you know, there is some inflation. Um, and I do believe myself that it is ultimately transitory to a large degree. And, you know, I think it'll stick around, you know, it won't be this high forever. Uh, hopefully when supply chains ease up and, such, you know, in a, in a few months or a couple quarters, uh, hopefully by then we'll see. But, you know, macro markets are impossible to predict, but I think the market's going to have these jitters every few weeks or maybe every month or two. We'll have like some kind of inflation scare that drops all the growth tech stocks five to 10% real quick in a day or two. And it'll be a nice buying opportunity, you know, like tomorrow could continue for another like big drop in growth in tech stocks, though. You don't know if it's just a one day or two day or a week event. But um, I think that's going to be the theme of 2022 is maybe for a lot of the, maybe the next few years, even, I don't know, but um, every, every month or two, you'll see like a, a quick pullback and then uh, you'll just melt up after that, you know, for the next month or two, it's a new all time highs and a quick pullback and then you melt up and it's going to be like, you know, two steps backwards, three steps forward, you know, kind of thing. And it's going to be 
very hard to stomach, you know, if you're buying near the top, you know, if you get the FOMO and you buy Tesla when it was at 1200 yesterday, and now all of a sudden you're down, you know, in, at the, in the morning X percent right off the bat, it's just, it's going to hurt, you know, so it's, it's a roller coaster. And uh, I just think that's going to continue. And that's, that's fine. That's how the markets are supposed to be. So um, that's just my big picture hunch, you know, um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's the, the markets are so jittery right now. I mean, we've seen this the last two months with just with like these these kind of strong rallies and then like panic selling. And, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, you, you've had like a kind of steady stream of days where, you know, the whole market's up like a, a percent or a half a percent a day. And then it's like, you know, down three percent all at once. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think the, this sort of uncertainty will continue. But like we've been saying for a while, I, I do think there is a decent amount of cash kind of sitting on the sidelines, um, you know, because people you know, institutions in particular don't, don't want to uh, invest in a lot of you know, like high risk stocks, you know, when, when the VIX is so high and, and when you know, yeah. there's, there's so much uncertainty. So, um, you know, there, there's the, the traditional um, thought would be that that will flow into corporate debt, you know, as is like the markets, uh, you know, ebb, ebb and flow. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't think that's going to, the, the um, interest rates being as low as they are right now, I, I don't think that kind of traditional um, uh, flight to safety is going to make as much sense in, in the current environment as it maybe did, you know, 15 years ago and mm -hmm. previously. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very confident in Tesla still. I mean, I think we should be at new all-time highs based on the production delivery numbers. Um, so, I, you know, the market will do what it does and it's time frame. you know, I'm not going to, I can't dictate that, but I, I, I would not be surprised at all if we're at new all time highs still later this week. If uh, this correction right now is just a one day thing like today, for example, I think there's a lot of uh, institutions out there that want to get a piece of Tesla um, after this production delivery. It's like, you know, their analysts or whoever they've been listening to, they're finally like, oh, let's just get into Tesla now because we don't want to miss the biggest story of, you know, the decade, you know, and, and there's been doubts. But this is just another number, this this production number and delivery number that is really it's it's substantive evidence that, you know, what you're what you believe is is it needs to be updated. You know, what, what anyone who's been a skeptic of Tesla, whatever they believe for that skepticism. They really need to, you know, if they can be convinced by actual data, then this is the data, exact data that I think could help convince that skepticism to kind of turn into like maybe Tesla is the real deal, you know? Well, I would say even even for Tesla bulls, it kind of forced a reevaluation. Um, you know, like you and I were, it was a three weeks ago, I think, walked through, you know, the, the model that I had there. And I think I was project, projecting like 220 in earnings per share for, uh, for Q4. Um, <laughs> yeah. But after that delivery report, it's like, okay, I'd go back and, and reevaluate a lot of different, you know, assumptions that I had in there. And, you know, I think you were around 290 with all the assumptions that, that you put in, which I think 296. Seemed, I put in some like real, what I thought was realistic, that, but optimistic, but yeah, 296. Yeah. Maybe that's even low. Yeah. That's well, that's, that's funny. Cause I was, um, you know, just updating my model and, and I came up with 295 as like a, my middle of the road estimate uh, for, for mm -hmm. Q4 given this new piece of information and then from there yeah, and this is a lot of what I, I spoke about with dave so anyone who's curious uh, watch out for that that dave lee interview that'll be dropping pretty soon um but like the prudent thing to do then is to go forward into um 
2022 and say, okay, well, what does that uh, imply for deliveries in 2022? And if you are delivering more cars, uh, but your fixed costs and your, you know, like your factory costs in particular, aren't in increasing, you know, one-to-one -one with your unit sold, then you, you're going to have some gross margin expansion, especially when you consider the, the price increases that have, that have come through. So you, like you start going through the, the like the first principles buildup of, of uh, projections based on this one piece of new data. And it's like all, all of a sudden 2022 earnings look ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. And so like if you apply even like a, a simple PE ratio to like a reasonable uh 2022 earnings per share or like you know you can do a, a single quarter annualized and apply p multiple to that like we've talked about or do a forward multiple yeah. it, it's like very difficult to imagine a scenario even in a deteriorating macro environment where where tesla doesn't go up from here based on on uh kind of the expected um operational performance that, that i think they're going to post not financial advice and and i wouldn't recommend trading on, on that but um just just running through the numbers it, it's 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 like it warrants um, a, a reevaluation of everyone's kind of share price targets. Um, yeah, I yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I think the stock will perform well relative to the other growth tech stocks. It doesn't mean that the stock is going to go up, though, in my opinion. Like if we have this kind of growth stock, if, if, if it's much choppier than I even expect in terms of growth in tech stocks, like getting hit hard from inflation fears, you know, like you could be the business of Tesla is booming, right? But the stock itself might just like hover around like a thousand to 1200 or something. You know, you, you can't, you know, like buying call options straight up because the business yeah. is booming is not a, is not a, is not a, you know, necessarily, it's not close to a guarantee. It's not even close. It's like, maybe it's probable. I don't know, but uh, maybe it's not. It's almost like a coin flip, you know? And, and I think in the past you could buy on Tesla when it was really like, breaking new ground and it felt like you could you could buy the call options and and have a high chance of doing well but in this type of weird market macro market environment we're in um i'm not so sure it's the case so there's a lot of people buying tons of call options at tesla out there it's like by far the most call option traded <laughs> stock like 10 times more than apple and like i think like i saw some stat recently like a third of all the call option buying in the market was like Tesla related. So there's a lot of gamblers and buying and doing things with call options in particular. I mean, put options to a little bit, but mostly people are buying call options. Maybe some people selling call options, but it creates in incredible volatility and people are trying to get rich quick. And, you know, maybe there's a small opportunity in there here and there, but it's, it's, you know, you really got to be ready to, to lose it all or double or triple or quadruple or whatever, you know, you could really, it's really close to gambling <laughs> doing like the medium or short-term call options, especially with Tesla in this kind of environment. But, you know, some people want to do that. So, um, it's, it's definitely risky. So just, uh, beware the stock, I think is very safe. You know, I think at least it hovers where it is and because, you know, the business is so incredible and it's really breaking expectations, but, um, you know, if the whole macro market and, it, you know, growth stocks are going down, that doesn't mean the stock's going to go up. It just might mean it just kind of hovers around where it is. So, and, and the call options would get killed in that case, if you're buying call options. Um, so just beware, uh, I would say that's why we're not so, you know, we're a little careful with how we play these Tesla movements, I think ourselves. I mean, we do definitely do some options around it, but we don't, bet the house on it. That's for sure.
<clears throat> no, um, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you've got to be willing to, especially if you're doing something short term, you've got to be willing to lose it all or to you know close it yeah. out and get get to a, a you know a, a spot where you know you don't want to lose say fifty percent of it, put a stop order in something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the earnings price per share revisions, you kind of just went over some of that. Um, did you kind of go over that in detail with Dave on your chat? Should we wait for that? Or do you want to show us anything here in terms of that? Or Yeah, yeah. so I didn't share my my model. Um, I can, I'm can. i happy to kind of go over that here. Yeah, let's do that. Um, let's pull that up here then and see the update. So here we go. We can update some yeah. inputs and see what happens. All right, can I you, see it now. Can you see that now? All right, yep. so for, and for anyone, those of us on Twitter um, Spaces, yeah, it's on YouTube Live channel right now being displayed. His model, you can watch it later. It's being recorded. It'll be posted immediately when we're done if you want. But uh, we'll walk, we'll try to talk through it too. So if you're just listening, you should hopefully have a good understanding. Um, so I have, I have, uh, Q, I have 2022 over here too. So just so people can see some of the projections. Uh, but basically, the only only couple changes we can we can walk through from what we did previously was uh, obviously just updating the the total deliveries with with the actual numbers from the report in here. Um, I did not make any adjustments to the full self driving take rate at seventeen percent. Um, I did have a little bit of a of a back and forth with with Dave though. He thinks that seventeen percent might be on the high side, mm -hmm. um, and so if that's true, um, then uh, my kind of rebuttal to that is. Uh, the the core manufacturing gross margin that I've been assuming is is uh, accordingly too low because uh, mm -hmm. what I do each quarter I think I've talked about this in the past is I you know make estimates of full self driving take rate and the amount that's recognizable and kind of get the math to work out such that the gross margins tie to the actuals with given assumptions on take mm -hmm. rate and so you reverse engineer it exactly yeah so, so that's where so the seventeen reverse... percent comes from so yeah so here, let me... in the past quarters. Yeah, let me let me show some of the past quarters here just to okay. kind of show you how, how this this works. So like, you know, um, obviously Tesla doesn't disclose the full self-driving take rate, but given a certain yes. number of deliveries and a certain, uh, you know, revenue number and gross margin number, you know, I have to adjust the core manufacturing gross margin and the uh, full self-driving the amount that's deferred and the full self-driving take rate in order to make sure that the revenue ties to the actuals and the gross margin ties to the actuals. So when I did that for mm -hmm. Q3, I got uh, an implied take rate of 18% globally uh, for full self-driving mm -hmm. and a core manufacturing gross margin of 26.7%. So, so my point mm -hmm. is maybe I'm too high on full self-driving take rate, but that would mean that I'm too low here on the core manufacturing gross margin, mm -hmm. uh, such that the total gross margin doesn't change from the actual results. I see. So, um, it's it's possible that you know maybe maybe it's you know 13% full self-driving take rate something like that but it, it shouldn't really matter materially since it kind of comes out in the wash um, yeah. but anyway um, back to Q4 so that's this this column right here sorry we're kind of jumping around a little bit um, so total automotive revenue of 14.7 billion so like a, a almost three and a half billion dollar increase over Q3 which is just Wow, uh, it's like and and almost double what Q1 of this past year was. Like, like this wow, is, this yeah. is like insane growth um, that that people were not really expecting. Um, so I after thinking about the credits too, I think I, I decided to go with with what you were saying on, on 600 million. I do think it's mm -hmm. more likely than not that there's been some sort of buildup of these credits. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think we're kind of due for a larger amount, but you know 
doesn't drastically change the story if, if that say 300 million instead of 600 million. Mm -hmm. um, so adding all this together, 17.4 uh, billion in revenue. Um, I adjusted the gross margin up a little bit too uh, in, in the mm -hmm. rationale. So I, I had this at uh, going from 26.7%. This is the, the core manufacturing gross margin. So just the how profitable are Shanghai and Fremont at making cars if you take out- Without the credits. Driving and credits, yep. Okay. Um, and full self-driving, okay. And full self-driving. So, you know, I had assumed that would be 28.7 uh, when we did this last time around. So 2% mm -hmm. increase, uh, primarily just related to um, the price increases that I think are going to drop through this quarter. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. if you think of like a, a $1,000 average price increase, um, at, at least gross margin, there's going to be a little bit of increased cost, but uh, $1,000 on average, that, that equates to about a 2% in, improvement in gross margin. Um, mm -hmm. But with the, the bead on deliveries being so high, there's going to be better fixed cost absorption from the manufacturing facilities. Uh, so like, you don't need uh, one for, for one increase in headcount or in machinery, for example, um, yeah. in, you know, when you increase that. So, so there should be better gross margins just, just on the fact that you're producing more cars at the same facilities. Uh, so mm -hmm. increase that from 28.7 to 29.2 in this latest revision. Okay. Um, I won't go go over everything else at all, but uh, in total, but that gets to automotive gross margin of thirty four point seven percent, and then let's just jump to the bottom line: adjusted earnings per share um, of two dollars and ninety five cents, which is yeah, like pretty much right where you were before. That I thought was crazy high. <laughs> yeah, three dollars so, around that. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean three dollars so a share. We, yeah, that's what's going. I, I was going to say we we. we Talk about like, you know, some simple math, you know, being just annualize that, uh, that number. And then what are we trading at now? Like, uh, what is it? 1150. Um, so if you take, you know, 1150 over the annualized, um, you know, earnings that, that I'm expecting based on these numbers, that's a, a PE ratio right now of only 97. Um, wow. so, so that's where you hit, I, I think you, you start talking about like a backstop of valuation. Um, and then if, yeah. you, if you kind of carry this this math forward, um, especially into Q4, maybe my Q4 might be a little too high. I might want to re revise that down. But like by by the second half of next next year, if the share price remains unchanged, then you're at a, a PE ratio of around 50. Um, and wow. the, the 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 peg ratio would just not make sense at that at that point. So that's where I think there's reasonable probability for you know some kind of movement in in the share price based on on those sorts yeah. of numbers. And Amazon has a PE of 65 or something like that, right? I mean, that's crazy. So Tesla's going to have a lower PE than Amazon pretty soon. That's nuts. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, and a, a comparable earnings. So this is one of the things we talked about. I think you and I spoke about this yesterday, Emmett, and I, I yeah. spoke on Dave's show. Like Amazon has um, very similar um, level of expected net income in, in Q4 of 2021 that Tesla has. So for the current quarter, like Amazon and Tesla are going to have about the same earnings. Um, hmm. but Tesla, wow. but Amazon's trading at 1.7 trillion and Tesla's at yeah. 1.1. And I would argue, yeah. you know, like Tesla should have a higher PE ratio given the, their growth prospects. Yeah. They're growing um, at a 50% plus per year rate and Amazon, what's that? Like 30% a year, maybe 20% at this point. I don't know. It's maybe. Yeah. Down. It can't grow it's that much faster. Certainly lower. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you look at how much revenue goes into producing, you know, 2.4, 2. whatever, whatever, whatever their, their net income is. Uh, you know, they can't scale that, say, you know, 100x from here, whereas Tesla like can. Um, yeah. 
yeah. certainly 10x and, and possibly 100x. And, and then, you know, yeah. if, if you think about the operating leverage and what that would do, like the, the PE ratio should just clearly be higher for, for uh, Tesla. Yeah. So, so that's where if they actually do come through with numbers close to, you know, what I'm thinking they, they will, um, like the market's going to have some reckoning to do. Like <laughs> you can, you can yeah. keep being skeptical, but at some point um, the, the money's going to move in, I think. Yeah, I'm just looking at the intraday charts right now. And, you know, while the growth tech stock index, we'll call it ARKK, the, you know, the, you know, that while that's kind of near the lows of the day, it bounced up like a tiny bit. Tesla is actually rebounding pretty strong from its lows of the day. It's almost retraced almost half of uh, it, how much it fell. I don't know. So, you know, there's definitely people buying it here, you know, um, at these, you know, even today with the growth tech stocks all being hit. There's definitely these buy orders programs, you know, working today, I think, buying, accumulating shares of Tesla through the course of the day. We'll see if it's enough to kind of, um, you know, if it's not enough to be overshadowed by the the sell off and the growth in tech stocks in general. But it seems to be, you know, I'm pretty happy with, uh, with, with the, you know, the price, the share movement today. But I think your, you know, your earnings uh, model here, Matt, is really it's really a good backstop for all of us Tesla bulls to kind of see fundamentally like what's, what are the pillars of Tesla stock and these numbers that you kind of show really help, you know, and, and James Stevenson and others, I think really help us kind of understand that like, Hey, you know, Tesla is not some growth tech stock that, you know, should get cut in half. It could get cut in half. Anything could get, you know, yeah. but there's really a backstop fundamentally for the PE to become like a value stock pretty soon. If, if it gets cut in half too much, you know, like, it's it's already approaching Amazon territory, and then yeah, you know, yeah. If it was cut, if the stock was cut in half, it'd be like valued almost, you know, it'd be approaching Apple stock valuation territory in terms of PE, you know, like so, and it's growing, right. you know, seventy percent year over year. <laughs> it's not growing twenty percent. <laughs> it's insane. So, and like you said, a hundred x return, hundred x growth of revenue is entirely possible for Tesla. That's not doesn't seem possible for Amazon or or Apple. You know, I can see them right. Like, their total addressable market might go up 2x or 3x possibly in five years, but it can't go up 10x in, or 20x in five years like Tesla, total addressable market that it it, uh, it reaches. Yeah. 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 And obviously, it's not going to do that entirely on the back of like automotive hardware sales only, you know, to get to 100x increase in revenue. You know, there'd have to be a lot of things that go right to achieve that. And it would take yeah. a long time. Uh, but yeah. but the point is, you know, the total addressable market or, or you know, like the, the top line, you know, like uh, optionality or the upside optionality is much larger for Tesla than it is for, you know, the other, you know, TerraCap companies out there. Yeah, yeah. And um, one, one thing I think that's really interesting, the, the, the biggest variable I see, I don't know, tell me if you're right, what, what you think, but from your all your inputs, Matt. You know, you have a lot of good assumptions. You got to assume things. You can't, you don't know a lot of things, so you got to make assumptions on things. But the hardest, perhaps one of the hardest ones to assume that is also perhaps I think the most important assumption is the price increase uh, ratio. Like how many of the deliveries this quarter uh, had the price increase built into them as, you know, from the orders being made after how many price increases of the Model 3 or Model Y, you know? So, there was close to 300,000 Model 3s and Ys delivered in the U.S. Probably what was it? probably would have been over 100,000, I would imagine. I don't know. But there, there's been substantial price increases like we've talked about. So that's just money on top right there, like the $5,000 price increase. Or how, I think it's increased several times. But if someone really mm -hmm. had great analysis of that and could like have a good, you know, yeah. estimate of like 
this is the average it's, price increase. Yeah, it's it's tricky to do. Um, and I, I actually used to do a build up like that. The the reason I kind of abandoned it is because you can't ever go back and quality check your assumptions. Um, so like you know if you if you have assumptions and like what the mix shift is of like long range versus all wheel drive, um, you know you can have very reasonable projections. But if you're if you're wrong in a meaningful way in any given quarter you may have no idea why you're wrong. Um, so mm. it's it's hard to um, go back and, and quality check that, at least for me. James Stevenson does do it that way. And and like, he's obviously done great work. So I'm not trying in any way to kind of denigrate that approach, but I've just found for me, it's, it's hard to, to um, really go back through a high level of detail with that many variables and, and get yeah. it accurate in a way that, you know, you can kind of duplicate going forward. But I, yeah. I do think, um, based on the comments um, from Martin Vieca of, of, you know, like price increases really coming through this quarter and the fact that we didn't really see ASP increase the last couple quarters uh, the way you, you thought uh, or the way the way you might otherwise think you would see uh, seems likely to me that, um, you know, Q4 will see more of those price increases uh, kind of flow yeah. through. Um, but um, mix shift could could dampen that to a certain extent. Um, so, it's, yeah. You may not necessarily see average ASP increase, um, but what you should definitely see is margins increase um, mm. as those price increases take effect. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, all right, so I mean, I think we covered a lot of stuff. Why don't we just go to like, unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up, we can just go to the Q and A portion and and just go bang through as many questions as we can for the next thirty minutes of you know our audience. If that is that makes yeah, sense, matter. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll wait for Alec to post some questions here. First question from Alex B. What's your Tesla option strategy for the year ahead considering uncertain monetary environment? Yeah, that's sort of what we talked about a little bit at the beginning. You know, the uncertain monetary environment or uncertain inflation expectations kind of thing. Um, with that uncertainty of the growth in tech stocks, you know, um, uh, environment, you know, we're not really buying new call options at this point, you know, we, we just feel, um, there's a lot of risk, you know, if the growth in tech stocks are going to kind of go back and forth a lot, you know, you really have to pick your time. Maybe if the stock goes down, you know, 20 or 30% from highs again, at some point, maybe we'd consider it, you know, that's the time I think is when it's come down substantially. Um, but it just doesn't seem appealing to us to buy, you know, new call option, you know, medium term, long-term call options when the stock is already kind of near tie. I mean, it could work out, um, but we're already positioned well with some long-term options. We bought in the 700s and we sold a bunch of put options when it was around 600 or 700. We've talked about that, that in the past. We sold a bunch of long-term deep in the money put options that are now out of the money, but we're waiting. We're just collecting that premium over time. So, you know, options are tricky with Tesla. It's like the biggest game in town, but um, it's, it's not, it's not a, it doesn't seem as an easy win. Like it used to like it, back, you know, five years ago, three years ago, you could make a lot of money, but for, from 2013 to 2019, you made no money almost, you know, it was hard to make money trading Tesla options too. So you had a six year window where I was losing money, for example, personally trying to buy call options. And finally it really hit, you know, Matt and I, I think personally both did really well in 2019 or 2020 buying call options that did really well. So you just don't know. It's just very risky. The stock is the safe thing to own long term. I don't know, Matt, you know, anything you want to add? Yeah, yeah. I, I generally don't like to discuss publicly individual call options just because, 
you know, there, there, I, th I think there's a lot of yeah. um, like personal, like how much can you afford to lose and what's your kind of mental state to handle losing everything. I think a lot of that plays into using options. So, you know, if we're, if we're coy around talking about options, I think it's not because we don't do it or uh, anything like that necessarily, but a lot of it, a lot of the reason is just that we don't want to recommend something so risky to the, the kind of general public. Um, yeah. I, I do think there's a lot of uncertainty. Options prices have gone up quite a bit in the last couple months. Um, so they, I agree with everything that you just said, Emmett, they're not as attractive as, as they used to be, but yeah, we, we did layer into a lot of, uh, things in the fund, uh, in the last year and, and even more recently, um, that I, I feel very happy about kind of the way that we're positioned. So I'm yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. One more note on that real quick is I would say if you're sort of a gambler and you typically go, you go to Las Vegas once in a while or something like that, let's say you were going to go to Las Vegas every few years or every X amount of time. And you saved up a certain amount of budget for that gambling to Las Vegas. Let's say your next trip to Las Vegas was like you, you, you saved up $10,000 somehow. And you were going to, you're expecting to just gamble it away at Las Vegas and, and probably lose it all. Well, I, I would not be opposed to just redirect that to Tesla short-term options instead, you know, like just, just gamble that $10,000 of Tesla short-term options you probably would lose it, but there's a chance you might win a lot of money with it too. So it's sort of like a gambling, you have to have that mindset like, Hey, I'm going to lose probably, I probably could lose everything I'm, I'm apportioning to these Tesla options, especially short-term options. Uh, and just be prepared for that. Just similar to how you go to Las Vegas, you're prepared to lose whatever amount of money you were going to gamble with. So anyway, next question. Yeah. From Johnny Liu, is there a good way to properly track how much of the recognized deferred revenue is due to full self-driving? What do you What do you think, Matt? Um, they do. I, I've spent a lot of time, kind of like buried in the 10Q, trying to track this. Like, I, I think at one point, I spent like three days in a row um, trying to map this and, and figure out, like, based on on the increases of the deferred revenue balance, like. What does that mean about the amount of new um, deferred revenue that was added? And then like, what do you assume about the amount that's related to like superchargers and other things not related to full self-driving? Uh, and, and the short answer is there's not a good way to, to do it. <laughs> um, so what where I've ended up personally, uh, just based on all the time that I've spent um, doing this and, and kind of listening to the little hints that um, Elon and Martin and Zach have, have dropped over the years and, and tracking those very closely over time. Um, I'm currently expecting that around 58% uh, of all full self-driving revenue uh, globally is classified or is immediately recognizable. Um, so then if you take you know the remaining 42% and you assume a certain take rate for full self-driving uh, and you, you kind of run that math um, quarter after quarter, uh, then you can calculate a, a deferred revenue balance. So like for Q4, my estimate based on, on doing all that is that the deferred revenue balance at the end of Q4 is $1.75 billion. Um, so it's it's a good chunk of, of the total um, deferred revenue balance uh, on, on, on Tesla's balance sheet, but um, it's definitely not all of it. And, and I could be wrong on that. But, you know, that's 1.7 billion. That's going to drop to the bottom line at some point. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a big number. And then you're going to have higher margins going forward because you'll be recognizing 100% rather than 58% of that $10,000 per, per yeah. uh, FSD sale. So it's like these are the sorts of like details that I, I don't see many of the Wall Street analysts doing that is like this hidden another kind of hidden catalyst that's right in plain sight that's it's going to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. From Anthony Bentol, have you guys studied Ford? Is their debt going to ultimately take them out? Um, I think <laughs> it's funny you say that. I know, Matt, you've looked at it a little bit. Uh, it's very complicated, though, right? I mean, it's it's not simple, it, right? It is. So we, we had a bit of a, a theory that we were trying to chase down for a while that um, a lot of Fords and, and the other OEMs, but Ford in particular, uh, their, their cash flow generation and earnings were largely kind of backstopped by used car sales. Um, and that if those collapsed, particularly for ICE vehicles, which seems like a reasonable thesis, um, then that could ultimately, you know, have a, you know, a bad impact on, on, you know, cash flows and debt and could lead to bankruptcy. Um, it's, I spent a lot of time trying to um, tie used car prices to Ford's financials and like test that out. And I, ultimately I couldn't find a, a reliable way uh, of, of doing that. Um, but I will say I spent enough time in Ford's balance sheet to feel really uncomfortable uh, with the level of debt they have. It's like 140 billion, I think, somewhere in that neighborhood. Let me let me check it up here. Um, yeah. yeah, 100. Oh, 100. It's come down a little bit recently. 117 billion of total debt um, that that Ford has. Uh, a lot of it is short term um, and related to their you know operating cash flows. It's like you know, it, it certainly is teetering. Um, Ford in particular didn't go through bankruptcy in 08 like GM did. Uh, so GM got kind of like a, a cleaned up balance sheet coming out of, um, you know, the Great Recession, which which Ford did not have that benefit of. Uh, so I do think if there was some sort of um, significant um, either decrease in used car prices or new car sales or, you know, some sort of market crash that, that hurts auto sales, um, Ford would probably be the most prone to uh, a, a bad outcome. <laughs> I, I yeah. think. Interesting. Yeah. And their stock's gone up a lot in the last, you know, years in 2021, it went up a, very significantly, like over hundred. They're, they're up 12% so. today. I, I don't know what the news is, but uh, what? Oh yeah. Look yeah. At that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know why production, they doubled their production goal for the F-150 electric pickup truck from 10,000 to 20,000 trucks <laughs> i saw that but like surely that can't be driving the stock up 12%. yeah that's apparently that what it is no, it's really from like it's really from like seventy five thousand to one hundred fifty thousand or something that's their they doubled but their that was goal. their goal i think they only <laughs> increased their production from like 10 to 20 or 20 oh to 40 gosh. or something like that it was like okay if that's yeah. the benchmark then tesla should be up like 800 percent based on their q4 <laughs> yeah 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 uh, I and like i don't know i, I yeah. I live in Michigan. I've got a lot of friends that work for Ford. I really want them to do well. I'm just trying to, um, I just call it like I see it. And and I don't yeah. think they're well positioned right now. No. Yeah. No one can be, it seems like it's a, there's no way to, to well position yourself against Tesla. You know, they just innovate too fast or too far ahead to get the battery supply locked up. There's just, there's no chance. I mean, the, the only thing they can do is try to join Tesla somehow, maybe invest whatever balance sheet they can in Tesla stock. I don't know, but there's, there, there's really no way. I don't see any of these uh, other automakers, you know, being comparable to Tesla in the, in the future. So. Well, well, they invested in Rivian, right. And, and so like, yeah, their, their best operational achievement so far is Rivian's, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. listing, like they're going to have this huge um, write up yeah. in, in their Q4 print. Uh, to mark up that that investment, that's going to be a huge one time gain that that they're going to have on their books. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I mean that legitimately is worth something, and uh, at least until it's not. So 
Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Then it'll be a markdown. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Next question. Let's see here from Mike arts question. If both Austin and Berlin go online this quarter, how do the, do the new fixed costs of those facilities flow through Tesla's financials? I mean, I don't, my hunch is that there's kind of a cost to ramping up a factory. I think they were able to minimize that to a large degree with Shanghai. I'm not sure, you know, because the cost of labor is so efficient there and such. I'm not sure what the cost of labor, how much of a part of the ramp that is, to be honest, how automated Tesla is versus labor, how much labor they're using and what that cost of, you know. So I don't know. I'll leave it to you, Matt. I, I think it'll be some amount. I just don't know if it'll be negligible or substantial. What do you think, Matt? Um, I, I think it's not going to be drastic. I mean, um, like if, if you... I did the math on this for Shanghai a couple of years ago, but if you, if you think of like the, let's say, uh, I probably can't do all this in my head, but like if you assume it's a like $5 billion between Berlin and Austin that will kind of uh, run through or that will be listed as PP&E this quarter. And then you amortize that over say 10 years, you can come up with like a depreciation impact. And then you say, okay, you've got all these other fixed costs in there and that's going to drag down your, your gross margins a little bit. Like that will certainly have an impact. And, and I think we've talked about that before also that, you know, like Q4 is probably going to be a local high for automotive gross margins um, while these other, uh, until these other plants ramp up uh, more drastically. So yeah, I'm assuming a pretty, I, th I think uh, a 4% decrease in gross margin, but the core manufacturing gross margin in Q1 mm -hmm. to kind of account for that, you know, inefficient ramp up. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a reasonable assumption. And so I think as long as you're kind of accounting for um, margins to not just continue to go up like, you know, 1% every quarter without really thinking about it. That's not a good assumption. Um, yeah. There will be some impact, but it'll, you know, it'll, it'll probably be a steep decrease and then it'll creep back upward over time. From Patrick Kodua question, what's your thoughts on Tony Seba's prediction that access to robo taxes will reduce demand for individual car ownership with this jeopardized demand needed for Tesla's 20 million year cars per year target? This is something ARK Invest has talked about as well. Uh, and lots of folks, you know, I, I, I honestly have not followed Tony Seba much. I know a lot of people talk about him, but this prediction I've seen by many folks, um, this is something we've talked about. Um, I don't think it jeopardizes Tesla's demand needed for Tesla's 20 million per year's target. Honestly, I think Tesla will be producing the best vehicles, uh, best cars, best autonomous vehicles at that time. And I think right now, what do we sell? Like a total globally, is it like 100 million cars globally are sold a year or something like that? Um, um, it's, it's something like in that neighborhood. Uh, so 20 million you know, I don't, I don't see that getting more than cut in half, even if everything becomes auto robo taxi, you know, um, quickly. And, and I can see Tesla taking a large percentage, you know, and there's going to be much more businesses, much more use cases for these robo taxis in 2030 or, or whatnot. You know, it's not just going to be driving people, you'll be driving packages, logistics. There's just going to be a whole new industries built on top of the robo taxi demand. I, I could see Tesla just delivering and producing as many cars as they can possibly make, and they've just put 20 million as kind of their benchmark target. But uh, I don't, I don't think it, they're going to have a demand problem. Um, what do you think? Yeah, like the 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 20. I was trying to find the the total global fleet, and and I don't remember exactly how big that is. But even if you were to snap your fingers, it's like a billion and, or two billion, something like yeah, it's like a billion or two billion cars, I think. 
Yeah, so let's say it's a it's a billion just for for argument's sake. Um, yeah. Then that would take fifty years for Tesla to you know reach to kind of replace every single one of those cars. Um, and within that time frame, within fifty years, that's not um, like the, the yeah. cars that you produce at the beginning of that period would need to be replaced again. So like, yeah. the twenty million a year is not enough, even if you're assuming like a three times higher utilization rate. So instead of replacing the fleet every 10 years, I think it is right now, maybe you need to replace it every three years going forward just because utilization is higher. So, you know, per year sales will ultimately decrease from, I don't know what it is, say 100 million to um, like, uh, what would that be? Like 30, 33 or something like that. Um, and that, that those numbers must not be quite right. But um, essentially it would take so long just to replace the existing fleet. And then even if, you know, they, they do replace that existing fleet, you know, that that um, worldwide fleet will continue to need to be uh, replenished over time. So um, I, I don't think the I think there's a, you need to distinguish between reduced demand for individual car ownership, which I, I do think that's a legitimate outcome, um, maybe in five years or whenever robo taxis probably longer than five years, honestly. Um, but whenever robo taxis have like wide penetration, that, that could be a reasonable um, outcome. Um, but then it will be natural for fleet operators to be buying, you know, enough vehicles to kind of make up that, that slack in demand. And this is like a very like great problem to have, right? Like, okay, we, yeah. let's say this thesis is right. And <clears throat> they can only sell like 10 million a year, but they're also operating like a robo taxi fleet of yeah. like 80 million units. It's like, who cares yeah. at that point? Like that's the yeah. best possible outcome. Like. Yeah. So and they're selling it, and they're also making money on all kinds of software margins. There's going to be so yeah. many new business cases. Like that's probably going to be one of the least the actual selling of the hardware car is probably going to be one of the smaller portions of their revenue by that time, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. So from Rob Womack, regarding SX deliveries, do you think the slow growth was soft demand, supply chain issues, or just difficulties ramping? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm also curious why uh, there's such a slow growth. Um, you know, for the X deliveries, the demand is out the like you try to put a new order for Model X now, you have over a year wait. So I don't know what the deal is there. If they're just, you know, I don't think it could be supply chain issues. I just think it's just not prioritizing so much. Like they they want to build great quality S's and X's, of course. So that that's a priority. But in terms of ramping up you know, supply chains and production, you know, efforts. I think that's maybe a low priority relative to the three and the Y. So that's my suspicion. And they're fine keeping, um, I think they're, they're fine making it a long wait for the SNX. It makes it a more, you know, almost more of like a status, not a status symbol, but maybe just like more desirable if the wait is even longer and you're like, Oh, you got an S well, I heard the weights like a year. I want to get one, but the weights too, you know, it makes people more desire it more. And that's their highest end product. I kind of suspect that maybe they're fine with just letting that play out for their top end products um, without having to prioritize it in prioritizing all their efforts on the three and the Y ramp ups. But uh, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? Why do you think that it's I, slow I guess... growth? I wasn't really that surprised with it, to, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I think the, the clearly they were retooling the, the SNX lines for a while, as they had done a bit earlier. This is really the first quarter um, where, where the refreshed X has been selling in, in significant numbers. So the fact that it's slightly slow to, to ramp up is not a huge surprise to me. So I, I would expect mm -hmm. those increase going forward. Um, 
But I don't know. Ultimately, it's like, even if I'm wrong and this is like a legitimate supply chain issue and they, they can't get SNX deliveries, it's like, it, it doesn't yeah. really matter that much in, in my mind. It's, yeah. it's like a nice halo thing, but yeah. um, it's, it doesn't drive the stock or the financials. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, uh, one of the quarterly earnings calls or a couple of them, maybe someone asked Elon about, you know, when all they were producing was the SNX, this is before the Model 3 even came, was, you know, they were working on it. Maybe they released the specs or something, but they hadn't produced it yet or something. And, you know, everyone just looked at the SNX delivery numbers every quarter. Oh, they sold 25,000 or whatever. And it was like, that's big. Maybe look at the 50,000 one day or something. That'd be awesome. And some analysts asked Elon, like, something to the effect of, like, um, you know, what do you see for the SNX long term? You know, where do you think the volume will be? And he answered with something like, you know, the SNX is like an afterthought. That won't matter. It's all going to be about the Model 3. Um, that's going to be way, we got to focus on that. That's, and at that time it blew my mind because I'm like, well, the SNX is so such an expensive product, it's, you know, a hundred thousand a year, that's great revenue. Or are you going to just throw that away and not care about it? And it, it kind of like blew my mind, but I thought about it and now it's playing out like the, the three and the Y, you know, are, you know, 10 times now they're 30 times more volume than deliveries in the S and X combined, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So well, maybe it, that'll say we'll have a model <laughs> two even one day, who knows? But back then you would have thought, okay, well, they'll, they'll never have like 30% gross margins once, yeah. you know, S and X is a small percentage of the, of the fleet or of, of the yeah. car sales. It's you like, wouldn't that imagine was, that. Yeah. That was like the given logic, uh, which was clearly wrong, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just true. I mean, they, they've, the, the way they've been able to scale so profitably is just like tremendously impressive. Yeah. Yeah, manufacturing is their their uh, advantage, it seems. So from Mav Ace, question, thoughts on Rocket Lab price action? Yeah, Rocket Lab's kind of been moving in tandem with the growth tech stocks lately. You know, I wasn't necessarily anticipating that because it's not part of like ARK's fund and, you know, we talk about it. Um, but I don't see Rocket Lab in the same kind of class. Um, it's, it's kind of its own unique enigma. It's sort of like buying a piece of a startup company or an early stage company that is going to take years to kind of play out. That's how I see it. It's not going to, you know, wow too many people with revenues in the next year or two or anything. It's going to be a few years, but um, yeah, I mean, Rocket Lab has been hovering around $12. Uh, they had that warrant redemption, which seemed to take make a hit on the stock. So I think a lot of short-term speculators are probably tired of it and, and, uh, hopefully getting crowded out of it. Um, but that, you know, hopefully there's enough long-term owners of the stock that it'll, uh, it'll stabilize and, and creep back up over time. But, you know, Matt and I are certainly more long-term uh, hold. I think, you know, with our study on it, we we're thinking much more long-term with the rocket lab. And when the market realizes, you know, the potential of rocket lab as a space industry, you know, mainstay, or not is, uh, to be determined. Um, so that's when the stock price could change to the upside we're, we're thinking, but that's not a guarantee it'll happen this year, even in 2022 could be longer. What do you think, Matt? Yeah. I mean, just in contrast to the, the first part of our conversation today, uh, like where Tesla's PE ratio acts as like a backstop to, to price in some way, um, yeah. Or at least can in, in theory, like that's not the case for for Rocket Lab. You know, trading <laughs> yeah. like earnings like are obviously negative. Yeah. yeah, like revenues revenue multiples are are like really high. So um, 
it's it's going to be almost impossible to kind of forecast short-term price movement. So we, we don't like yeah. mess around with short-term options plays with Rocket Lab. So it's really just a, like a long-term buy and hold for the most part. Um, yeah. I think just because like the, there's no great, you know, way to to think of like short-term catalysts. Um, yeah. You know, they can have some good launches and, and that could help, but not really. Like it's not going to triple yeah. based on like having yeah. like solid launches in, in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, it's really just kind of a, a way to buy into the overall space industry that we feel is a very good value investment for the rest of the decade, you know, relative to like buying into SpaceX at 100 billion plus valuation when it's privately traded only and it's not so it's not liquid. For example, this is publicly traded. It's got a five or six billion dollar valuation, you know, so we just feel like it's a really good play, pure play for being getting good exposure to the space industry, we, we see it as a major player in the future in the space industry. So Arnold Oberleader, Bitcoin on Metro Miles balance sheet, any opinion and general price action on Lemonade? Nancy Pelosi Roblox calls, have you seen it? Can the ramp of Berlin and Austin hurt Tesla margin? There's a few questions here. Um, <laughs> I have not seen the Bitcoin on Metro Miles balance sheet. Uh, doesn't surprise me. I, I, maybe it does a little bit, but I don't know how much Bitcoin. Can't be that much, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, and lemonade, yeah, lemonade's just been floating at lows here. Well, thirty eight dollars and sixty nine cents right now. Wow. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, lemonade's at a two point three billion valuation, two point four billion market cap right now. <laughs> so it's just seems, um, you know, it's, it's a binary play, binary outcome play that we've talked about. It's either going to, you know, dwindle away and be bought for pennies, you know, acquired eventually. Um, but I think that event wouldn't happen for a, a couple of years at the earliest or, you know, 18 months, maybe at the earliest if they continued to dwindle. But I think it would be more like two or three years. You know, they have enough money on their balance sheet to survive for a few years, it seems like. And the next couple of quarters, I think, will really determine if Lemonade is a more significant threat to the insurance industry or not and can really grow um, and support itself. So it's, it's a binary outcome um, either goes down or it goes up obviously. And if it goes up, it could go up, you know, a lot. Um, so you just have to kind of put your own probability on which outcome it will be, I guess. And the next quarters will, will determine that I think more. So we'll, we'll have a better prob probability idea. Yeah. The upside seem more asymmetric from here though, which is a good thing. Yes. I, yeah. I, yeah. And the Nancy Pelosi Roblox calls. I have not seen that. Uh, she's getting hurt today. <laughs> Anyone who owns Roblox calls getting hurt today. I can, we can speak from experience. So yeah. Um, Roblox call. I mean, Roblox is, is huge. Uh, we've been speculating that, you know, maybe, uh, there's going to be a nice surprise for bookings in December. We'll see. Um, they might not release that type of metric until their earnings report in February. We'll see though. Um, and by then it might not market might not care as much. So, um, but we, we're still bullish on Roblox, uh, long-term medium and long-term, but it's definitely one of those growth tech speculative stocks. So, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be influenced by the, the wind of the macro markets heavily. Um, and can the ramp of Berlin Austin hurt Tesla margins? I think we sort of answered that earlier. Um, right, Matt. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and he did clarify in the comments, there's uh, $1 million of Bitcoin on the Metro Mile uh, balance sheet. So, I mean, that's to, to me, that's kind of a non-issue. Like, you know, whether you're talking about Lemonade or Bitcoin in general, it's like, 
Um, like I think for Bitcoin to get wider adoption among, you know, S&P companies, um, it's going to be the larger companies taking initiative that that would, I think, be more impactful. But a small company like Metro Mile um, doesn't necessarily surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me if Lemonade disposed of that, uh, just not wanting to kind of get in the mix. But if they held it, that'd be fine, too. I don't think it's good or bad either way, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. Let's see. From Messi L. With all natural resources available in one country and a major producer of hydroelectricity, would Canada not be a possible location for the next gigafactory? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if Canada, I don't know, Canada's export import laws or tariffs or whatnot. I don't see anyone else. I don't see, I don't know. I don't know enough about Canada, to be honest. That's something maybe like, you know, we should study up on, but um, I'm not sure. Do you have any opinion, Matt? I think the more important variable is how close are they to centers of demand, not, you know, how cheap is their uh, renewable energy cost. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, I, th I think they'd rather ship in, you know, lithium from somewhere else and build their own solar panels to, you know, fuel the, the to power the factory um, mm -hmm. and save on, you know, like, $2,000 per unit of, of like shipping costs. Like to, to me, I think that's um, the, the more impactful um, um, thinking that, that Elon has going through his mind. So, you know, in, in that case, I'm not sure where the next kind of unmet pockets of demand will come from. Um, mm. But it doesn't seem likely to me that it would be Canada, especially when you already have two North American factories. Uh, it seems mm -hmm. like it would most likely be somewhere else. Yeah. I would, I would agree. I haven't seen any other major global companies build factories recently in Canada. I could be wrong. And I haven't heard of any courting by Canadian governments for Tesla to set up production there either. All right, let's take one more question here. Let's see here. It's close to 1030 Pacific time. So from Curtis Johnson, if robot taxis are profitable and Tesla has billions banked for operations, what incentive does Tesla have to keep selling to private owners? That's a really good question. And I think the same thing actually about the Tesla bot. I don't, you know, I, I, that when the Tesla bot comes out, they're going to have tons of money already banked, lots of money for operations. I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of lend out or lease these bots and, and instead of selling them flat out to people. Um, but for the robo taxis, that's sort of like a bot, but a car, you know, and, and so over time, I would agree that, um, you know, there may still be an option just because of inertia of the business model. Maybe they'll still sell Tesla cars, but maybe they'll be more expensive, the new ones, or maybe the used Tesla cars will go up in price too. Um, but I think there's a good chance Tesla um, maybe has their own kind of fleet, or they could just outsource the fleet operations to other businesses, you know, let other small businesses get set up for the purpose of, uh, fleet operations like the guy Florian, who uh, you've interviewed in the past and we've talked to in Europe, is sort of in, in early stages of doing. So, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything th that you said. Um, you know, I think the incentives won't only be financial. So, for example, like Tesla couldn't, I, I don't think Tesla would. Um, let's say uh, deep into the future, they're producing 20 million a year and they're all for robo taxi applications. 
I don't think Tesla is going to be operating every single one of those 20 million, you know, vehicles. And then like five years down the road, that's a fleet of hundred million vehicles that are all owned by Tesla. I just think mm -hmm. the the scaling of O and M required for that, and like like the having operations in such disparate locations would be very difficult to kind of scale up. Um, mm -hmm. So I think um, you, they'll probably prioritize selling you know FSD to robo taxi operators because uh, that will be you know the highest way to or the highest margin use of you know that product that's rolling off their their factory lines. Um, yeah. and, and I think they'll probably will operate some of those. Um, but I think they'll, they'll lean on, you know, private operators like Florian and like Hertz and, you know, mm -hmm. the, like, I think you and I each have cyber truck reservations and I'm still, yeah. you know, thinking of that as a real option where I don't know, five years down the road, I might very well be operating a, a fleet a of small fleet, yeah. a small fleet yeah. just on the side, you know, hire somebody and, you know, handle that. So yeah, you know, I think that's the way it's going to pan out. It's, it's going to be more helpful because you're going to need like parking and charging and cleaning and like a lot yeah. of things that don't necessarily scale up in every small town, you know, to, for Tesla to have operations to handle that, I think would be yeah. difficult. You know what I think will happen? There could be even like uh, small businesses, you know, you'll see all kinds of new, cool, small businesses set up with the purpose of running, you know, autonomous robots as fleets or whether it's the Tesla bot or the robo taxis. I think there could be, it would be cool. It'd be really neat. You know how you can invest in like real estate investment trusts, REITs in the, in, uh -huh. you know, in the U S it'd be cool if you could set up like a robot investment trust and, and people could invest. Yeah. In I saw your, out. your Twitter thing on that. That's a, it's oh, a good I'd idea. Maybe know, there'll be a good I, I, soil, uh, robot, you know, investment robot trust. trust on the road. Yeah. We should, we should hire someone to manage setting that up and do that. I mean, we'll talk to our, our friend, Wes Gray, who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. He, he might have some idea. I mean, he's in the ETF special but uh specialty but real estate investment trusts are probably very different um but this would be yeah, similar to a real estate investment trust assets it's uh, yeah it's robot investment yeah, trust it's not liquid. yeah yeah but i would think international investors can i think they can invest in uh u.s exchange traded reits um i think so i would think you know like you non-us investors i think a lot of them can't invest in u.s etfs maybe but i think uh in robot investment trust, if it's similar to a setup structured similar to a real estate investment trust, maybe it could be international. You can get international investment that way too. Who knows? We'll have to look into that side project. We'll we'll uh, we'll see. Maybe uh, we'll get Alec to try to look into it with us or something. <laughs> so I don't know. Interesting, interesting ideas. So uh, someone will do it if we don't do it, right? That's what Elon said about the bot. So for we'll sure. see. Yeah, All right. Well, technology uh, to get yeah. there though. That's, New uh, technology, yeah, yeah. All right, well, great chatting. Ten just after ten thirty, we try to keep this to an hour. And um, yeah, thanks for all the questions, everyone. Great questions. We'll be here again next Tuesday, same time, same place. And uh, let's uh, let's see what happens with the with Tesla stock the rest of today and this week. Uh, exciting times, roller coaster rides, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.